Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I want to thank you for listening. We have on this site over 3,400 audios featuring great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea and other lands, Bible studies. You can now go to Google Play Store and the Apple Store and download the Church One app for sermon audio. Just enter Hackberry House. My books are on Amazon.com, and you can contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. Reading today from a book entitled The Christian in Complete Armor by William Gurnall, the English Bible scholar and pastor who died in 1679. We're talking about the uncomeliness which sincerity covers. Now, when the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that um, we are to take on the girdle of truth, he makes that into the belt of sincerity. Sincerity, that's one aspect of truth. He's saying that the uncomeliness is covered up by sincerity. Now, what is the uncomeliness? Number one, temporary external assets. The world honors beauty, heritage, wealth, and intellectual giftedness with more prestige than they are worth. But sincere grace covers them all and refocuses rightful attention on the person himself. It gains more abundant honor in the sight of God, angels, and men, if they are wise men, than any dishonor and contempt which the lack of external assets can call forth from the world. A, for example, beauty. This is a universal idol which the world stares at, but it is wisdom which makes the face lovely. Who would choose an ornate but empty bottle instead of a vessel full of rich wine? If sincere grace does not fill the heart, Nature's beauty of the face makes the person worth very little. A beautiful person without true grace is like a pretty weed. It looks best if you see it from a distance. On the other hand, a sincere heart without the obvious attraction to itself is like a sweet flower, unpainted with such bright colors. It's better to hold than to look at more pleasant to smell than to see. The nearer you come to a sincere man, the more you sense life radiating from his heart. B, poor family background. No matter how unworthy a man's birth may be, real grace brings a glorious coat of arms to it, cleanses the bloodline, and makes the family illustrious. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee, God says. That's in Isaiah 43, 4. Sincerity is like a gleaming mark of honor, and wherever this star shines over a lowly cottage, it tells you a great prince lives inside. Most importantly, sincerity brings the man into the family of the Most High God, and this new oneness blots out his own tarnished name and lets him carry the very name of God. He is joined to God by faith unfeigned. And who can say 
the bride belonging to the Prince of Peace is a commoner. C. Poverty. This word sounds like shame to a proud world. But even if a man is obviously very poor, he has access to a rich mine which will lift him above the world's contempt if a vein of sincere grace runs in his heart. He may have to admit he has no money in the bank, but he cannot say he has no treasure. For the man who holds the key to God's treasury is rich beyond compare. All things are yours, and you are Christ's, says 1 Corinthians 3, 21 and 23. D. Mental giftedness. The tradition of men gives a standing ovation to intellect and loudly applauds the excellency of knowledge. Indeed, mental ability stands more level with man's noblest faculty, reason. Those others, wealth and beauty and high birth, are so far beneath the spiritual nature of reason uh, that they are like those soldiers of Gideon who could not drink water from the stream. A man cannot rejoice in them until he first debases himself far beneath the lofty stature of his reasoning soul. But intellect, abilities, and knowledge seem to lift up man's head and stand him at full height. Therefore, none are held in such contempt by the wise world as those with lesser mental gifts. Thus, let us discover how sincerity can cover this nakedness of mind. If you grieve because your shallow understanding seems dull and does not measure up to those with sparkling intelligence, be content with your sincere heart. Their pearl is only in the head and even a toad can wear a jewel, but yours is in the heart. This pearl of grace is your pearl of great price. A sincere heart sets you higher in God's heart than weakness debases you in the world's opinion. And even without the abilities natural men have, you'll find your way to heaven. But they, for all their mental achievement, will be tumbled down to hell because they lack sincerity. Just remember that while your small gifts do not make you incapable of heaven's glory, their unsanctified gifts are sure to make them capable of more of hell's misery. And while you shall get a better head, they shall not get better hearts. Number two, sinful uncomeliness. This is the worst sort of spiritual unattractiveness because it blackens the soul and spirit which God intended to be the source of the Christian's loveliness. Whatever stains and deforms the soul must be the most serious hindrance to the beauty of holiness sketched on it by the Holy Spirit's perfecting pen. The soul monster of sin has so marred man's sweet countenance that it is no more like the comeliness God created than the fiend of hell's similarity to the holy angel which he had been in heaven. But by his grace, Christ has undertaken to heal this wound which sin has given to man's nature. His healing power is at work in his elect. But the cure is not yet so complete that no scars remain. This, then, is the uncomeliness which sincerity covers.
The next topic is how sincerity covers the saint's uncomeliness. Not just that it does it, but how does it do it? Pardoning mercy eagerly embraces sincerity. Christ is the one who covers our failures and sins. But he throws his garment of righteousness only over the sincere soul. Blessed is he whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Everyone likes to believe this, but notice the requirement of receiving this mercy in whose spirit there is no guile. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Thus Christ's righteousness covers the nakedness of our shameful unrighteousness, but faith is the grace which puts this garment on. God approves of the sincere man as holy and righteous, even though he is not totally free of sin. And just as God does not mistake the saint's sin for sincerity, neither does he unsaint him for it. For instance, Scripture recorded that Job fell into the pit of sin, but God saw sincerity mixed with his transgression and judged him perfect. Sincerity does not blind God so he cannot see the saint's sin, but makes him consider it with compassion instead of with anger. This is like a husband who knows his wife is faithful to him, so he pities her weaknesses and cherishes her as a good wife. In all of this, God said, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. And at the end of the combat, God brought Job through with the favorable testimony that his servant has spoken of me, the thing that is right. Job himself saw his own earnestness dashed with failures, and this made him confess his sin rather than presume upon God's mercy. But God saw the sincerity. The Father's mercy for us is much greater than our love for ourselves, however. The prodigal son, a symbol of the convert, did not dare ask his father for shoes, much less for a ring. His request reached no higher than for lowly servanthood. He never conceived of such a meeting with his father at first sight, and he might have expected him to come after him with a rod or rope instead of a robe. Even if the father had met his wayward son with harsh words and whippings before taking him back, this arrangement would have been good news to the prodigal in his starving condition. But even as God has strange punishments for the wicked, he has strange expressions of love and mercy for a sincere son. He delights to outdo the highest expectations and and kiss, robe, and feast all at once and on the day of his child's return. God also demonstrates more mercy to us than our love for each other. We may be ready to condemn a Christian for blatant sin, but God claims him as one of his children because of sincerity. Thus we find Asa's failure and perfection verified by God in one breath, that says, But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. And God was the only one who could have cleared this man, for if nothing more than the naked story of his life had been recorded, without God's testimony of approval, 
his godliness might have been unanimously indicted by a jury of holy men. Because Elijah could not see anything else worshipping as zealously as he did, and fearlessly defying idolatry, he moaned to God that apostasy had taken over the whole land, but God overruled Elijah's anxiety. I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. God comforted his prophet by saying, Calm down, Elijah. Although the number of my people is not very big, there's not such a shortage of saints as you may think. Truly, their faith is weak, and they do not slash the sins of the age the way you do. But your reward is yours. I will not disown my night disciples who carry their light in a dark lantern because they're so afraid. They have some sincerity, and this has kept them from idols. God causes us to be tender to his lambs, but no one can ever be as gentle as the Father himself. Scripture lists three ranks of saints, fathers, young men, and little children, 1 John 2 12 to 14. The Spirit of God shows his concern by mentioning the young ones first and delivering the sweet promise of mercy to them. I write unto you, little children, for your sins are forgiven you for my name's sake. In plain terms, he says their sins are forgiven. And at the same time, he stops the mouth of guilt from discouraging them and opposing the gospel. Forgiven for his namesake, a name far mightier than the name of a person's worst sin. Sincerity, then, keeps up the soul's credit at the throne of grace so that no sin or weakness can hinder its welcome with God. Regarding iniquity in the heart, not just having it keeps God from hearing our prayer. This is a temptation which Christians often wrestle with, when they let their personal shortcomings turn them away from prevailing prayer. They cower like some poor people who stay away from church because their clothing is not as fine as they would like. To take care of this problem, God has provided the promises, which in any case are our only ground for prayer, and has made them to fit the tiniest degree of grace. And as a well-done portrait faces everyone who enters the room, so these promises of the gospel covenant smile upon everyone who sincerely looks to God in Christ. Scripture does not say if you have faith like a cedar tree, but if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Justifying faith is not beneath miracle-working faith in its own sphere. The least sincere faith in Christ removes the mountainous guilt of sin from the soul. Thus, every saint is said to have like precious faith. In Genesis, we can barely see Sarah's faith, but in Hebrews 11, God gives it honorable mention alongside Abraham's stronger faith. What love is it which brings down the favors of God to a man? It is not... Grace be with them that love our Lord Jesus with an angel's love, but with sincere love. Nor blessed are they who are as holy as Melchizedek, holy to such and such a degree, but 
so that no poor saint will lose his portion of the inheritance that God promised. It says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. This takes in all the children of God, even to the least baby who is but one day old in Christ. In a word, if sincerity could not guarantee our welcome at the throne of grace, God would never accept a single prayer. For there never was, nor there ever shall be, a saint living in the flesh who does not have entire chapters of faults in his life story and in whom eminent failings may not be found. Elijah, for instance, did great wonders in heaven and in earth by power and prayer. Yet God's Spirit tells us he was a man like us. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, but he prayed, and he prayed again, James five seventeen and 18. Even a weak hand with a sincere heart can turn the key in prayer. Amen. William Gurnall, the Christian in complete armor. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.